listening to Nerds on Film with Roxy Noberry, Sean Moriarty, Gina Giovanetti, and Brian Moriarty. Well, guys, so first off, happy February. Happy February, Brian. I have a question. Yeah. Okay. So I was thinking about this because I texted you guys and I said I have the perfect opening. Okay. Here's my question. It's one of those things of like, what movie world would you want to live in? So what romantic comedy world... Would you want Ooh. to live in? Oh God, really? Okay. Um, yes, really. Okay, I got it. Mm. I've got mine. So I'll wait for you. But Gina, do you need? Time? I I need a little more time to think. So you, okay. Brian, you, you go do, first. You do yours. So there is a wonderful movie that also kind of happens to be a Christmas movie, but it's um it's called uh, Shop Around the Corner. And it was based mm. on a play. And the idea, I just, I, what really makes me love that world so much is, so first of all, it's set in the 1930s. So there's this bit of nostalgia to it. But I guess it's the idea that these people all work in a retail store, and yet they're able to sustain themselves off of that and not be... <laughs> destitute? And not be destitute. Like, they're kind of a middle, they're middle class because they're working in a, in, in a store. And... Maybe it's just because of our current economic situation, but I just kind of like that, and and I like that in the sense of actual romanticism, and that we like to see the world the way we, the way we wish it were. Um, the story itself is actually very cute, and I like the idea of you know these people only knowing each other through correspondence of of letters. So that is that is very nice. Obviously, it was the basis for what eventually became You've Got Mail uh, later on. You got mail kind of has a little bit of that same romanticism in it um, because I love that Meg Ryan's character owns a little bookshop and it's got that and same it's around of, the corner right mm-hmm. and it's got that little still kind of cutesy kind of charm. feel charm to it but I think the original film does it much much better cool nice um let's see I think I guess maybe, like, I don't know if this one actually qualifies as a romantic comedy, but, like, I maybe, like, the Legally Blonde world, because that seems like it's would nice. be would be fun. Elle Woods would be a lot of fun to hang out with, and she she can, like, channel her sad breakup energy into something productive, like going to Harvard Law. Like, that's <laughs> the kind of friend that you want in your corner, and... I told you guys before, like, how much I hated 500 Days of Summer because I wanted to punch a whiny boy in the face. I realize, I realize, I realize there's been a trend the last several episodes of me saying I want to punch whiny boys in the face, but... This eh. week on Gina Rants. <laughs> <laughs> Listen... I apologize. But, yeah, I think, I think Legally Blonde is also, like, one of the more... Like, I, it feels more real to me. Like, in the same way I could never... Like, there are certain rom-coms I can't really get into because I'm just like, you're trying to say that, like, oh, this is, like, kind of real when it's really not. Okay. True. I think that's fair. And pl- plus, I feel like because she's so of, like, a higher echelon and she's got tons of cash, like, you really wouldn't have, like, no money issues whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Let me be your friend, Elle Woods. We'll go to sushi. <laughs> we'll get our nails done. Oh, that'll be great. You'll go get lunch, and she's like, I have to go to court. I'll be right back. And then she, like, solves a big case, and it's fantastic. And then she yeah. gets even more money, because she's yeah. a very high-powered lawyer now. Yeah. yeah. She, or she'll, she'll be like, oh, wait, I have to leave. I have to go, like, take this case. But here, and she'll, like, leave her credit card and Pay right. For the, pay for the <laughs> Actually, I think it'd be it's funny great. if it's like if it's just like Gina. I don't know. Do you think this qualifies as a writ of certiorari? <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's like um maybe <laughs> maybe so, sure. Sounds like it. Now let's go do lunch. Okay. You can tell who's the social studies nerd. Yeah. <laughs> like I whip yeah, out no, a Supreme you can, Court. You can vocab word. You can have the, well. A, fr- a friend of mine passed the bar, and she she's technically a lawyer now. So sometimes she'll but sometimes she'll use words, and I'm just like. I don't know what any of those mean. You need to double this down a little in there. bit. Thanks. Latin. You lures and your tricks. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, that's the world I want to live in. To kill a mockingbird. No, I don't. No, I don't. No. With creepy Robert Duvall like just standing in the corner of a darkened room for no reason. <laughs> more, more that I don't want to live in an overtly racist South. Um, but you mean sure, like, like. 
today. Like no, you don't want to go there today. Like, well, we just live in an overtly racist Northern California. I, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, so obviously racism what's, is still a thing. What's, in the South, what's but, different? Except now cars move faster than older cars. Uh, we're gonna get some feedback on that one. Yeah, um, I uh, don't necessarily <laughs> agree, but I do. Obviously, I'm not denying that racism is not an issue in. All yeah, parts that's of not, America. That's but, not what I was trying to say. Okay. Um, okay. It was a what, poorly placed joke. Okay. What rom com would you like to live in, Dave? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let me get segue, away from that Gina. awkward. Uh, I don't know. It's a toss up between like chasing Amy and um, oh god, uh, thirteen going on thirty. Um, oh, those are fun. Those are fun. I so, don't know if I would qualify chasing Amy as a romantic comedy though. Well, see, I, I would, okay, because they are together, boy gets girl, they're apart, and granted, they're not like, an, I think it, it it's one of those movies that bends the formula a little bit, which is what we can get into later, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like, selfishly, I'd want to do that because it's a gateway into the entire uh, Jersey uh, storyline of, of Kevin Smith because the Holden universe, McNeil, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, the askew universe. Like, you once you're inside one, you're inside them all. So, it's like I can go and meet Jay and Silent Bob, I can go and meet oh, the guys yes. from Clerks, I can go and do and see all the things. It's just sort of it's just, it basically, it's like, oh, this is great, but also let's go to the fucking quick stop and get some fucking candy and hear them talk about Chuli's gum or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and get chased by a rubber poop monster, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah why not? I would 100% want to be in Dogma. <laughs> that was great. Um, but also, the um, the 13 going on 30, I like because I sort of like the magical aspect of it. But it's like you get now you have two places to choose from. Like, if I could live in a world where I'm going back and I'm, like, trying to learn a lesson, the only downside to that is that I'm obviously a complete asshole in my now adult life that I have to go back and learn, like, where mm-hmm. I went wrong or vice versa or... It's just, I don't know, it's kind of cool that you throw in a magical element like that. Well, that's like, um, um like, and I kind of live in that sort of fantasy. Sorry. Well, it's like 13, 13 going on 30 is almost like a, like a, almost like a, an Americanized, like, sliding doors. Uh, um, yes. Yeah, it's yep. it, it's very kind of like, well, had she chosen to do something else in this moment, her future would have turned out this way. But the difference is instead of showing you the two diverging paths of whether or not Gwyneth Paltrow caught the train, it's like, okay, well, this is how this birthday party went for Jennifer Garner. So she grew up into this kind of an adult. But then at the right. end, spoilers, if you haven't seen 13 going on 30, she and kind I mean, of has that hasn't? opportunity to like go back and redo it kind of thing. I just want to be 30, flirty, and thriving. Oh 30, flirty, and thriving. Uh, <clears throat> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, that's one of those things where it's like, because I, I binged a lot, and we'll get into it after the intro, but like, there's a lot that I picked up on and a lot that I just like, I know that deep down it's like, ooh, it's like eating chocolate cake when you know you're not supposed to have some. You're like, mm, this is really good, but it's like, it's terrible for you. <laughs> it is but terrible it's for so you. Oh, God. <laughs> God, I'm such a Samantha. Mm. <laughs> I can't eat it or else I'll get fat, but it's so good. <laughs> oh, my God. I think on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Gina Giovanetti. And uh, as you can tell, Roxy and Sean are not with us this episode. So joining us back in the, well, not in the cave, but spiritually in the cave, but really over Skype, is Nerds on Film co-founder yes. Dave McGuire. Well, hello. I'm a ghost? <laughs> I'm a ghost. There's a lot of ghosts in this cave. You might want to get that checked out. Yeah, yeah there probably are. should. Yeah. <laughs> But Dave, you, you know, we're only a mere three feet from your old habitation of the closet. Like, you can literally oh, see it. From I can the see corner. it. Yeah, it's right behind uh, where Brian is. And it's just, it's both warm memories and also very dark, turbulent yeah. times for me. And so it's, I have, I have mixed bagged feelings about yeah. that closet. So here's the funny thing. So if the nerds ever have seen a picture of me recording and they see the blue door behind me, and we've always joked that that's the closet. It actually isn't. It's actually a room to a whole other room in this unit that we record in that it's just got tons of boxes in it. So it's <laughs> it's functionally a closet, but it's actually a really, really big space that Dave could have made a whole, you know, 
We could have found him like making a fort out of the boxes. Pe- look, people paid you know that top I did dollar you for that kind of in space in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Box forts for the for the win, man. Exactly. So um, anyway, if you guys couldn't tell, the subject for this month, it's it's kind of Civil War movies. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> dearest Gina, I write to you. From <laughs> and here's our special the front guest. of Gettysburg. Ken Burns. We got As him we in fight the notice. forces of tyranny. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, no, no. It's 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 rom coms, um, and it's it it kind of blows my mind that you know, we're in the sixth year of this podcast, and it's taken us this long to think. Hey, it's February. What's in February? Valentine's Day. Oh, maybe we should make a romantic comedy <laughs> episode. Have we never done something similar or come close? I don't think we have. If we did, we may have done it in the first year, but I'm pretty yeah. sure Sarah vetoed it because she thought it was too cliche. So yeah. guess what? You're six years deep. All the cliches now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to find that like, like every other television show, we're going to find that there was a long lost cousin, you know, he's coming like, okay. Case in point, actually better joke. Um, I've been like getting really into watching ER on Hulu because Hulu now has uh, oh. the entire series of ER. Oh that no was shit! Good though. And I've not seen. I remember watching it probably about eighth or ninth season, uh, a little bit before Doctor Green died. Spoilers. And uh, <laughs> but I never saw the beginning, so it's like I'm watching it, and it's like you see these characters come in, and it's like I know certain characters are going to come back later down the road. So it's like we're in that we're in that uh, that mid section of the series where it's like. Old characters are coming back. Hi, me. And like new characters are being introduced. Gina. And Woo. like new people are taking leads, like Roxy. So it's like we're like a medical drama where like we just like <laughs> interchange everybody and like the story still keeps going and we still have podcasting to do. And I don't know how to end this anecdote. So I'm just going to stop. I'm talking. just, I'm just happy that you structured it as like, oh, like new characters that are here for the good of the show. And I'm not like a Brady Bunch cousin Oliver that just tanks the series. <laughs> so it's that, it's like, you know, this, is, this is like literally Grey's Anatomy is what it is. <laughs> I'm the Meredith Grey. Everyone else who was the original co host has left and moved on. And then eventually they come back for cameos. But like, if I leave, like, what does Nerds on Film become at that point? Like, if like, it still goes, like, like ER, like all, I think most of the main characters stop being, with, with the exception of the people who work like at the the front desk. All the main doctors change out at some point in their life and um, in the series life, and so it's like it's not, you know, it'll keep going. But, but like you need you need a common thread though, or else you end up with like that last season of scrubs that people like to pretend doesn't exist oh the one where like it's a medical school maybe you get uh, yeah where it's like the medical school and like maybe you get some elliot but you get like nobody else i'm worried that would be what happened if brian left where it's just like it's you know me in here just like all right oh no (laughs) but it's like you're right because you like it was really it was it was elliot mostly turk Oh yeah, of, that's right. Elliot and Turk, and then you had um, didn't JD and John, uh, and John, JD, John C. McGinty well, like, got cameos. Well, John C. McGinty was still in it. I can't remember his character's name. Doctor Cox, bugging the crap. Thank you, Doctor Cox. Doctor Cox was still in it, I think, because they were now, I guess, teachers. Like they, they, guess, had, they completed yeah. their residency, so they were helping other residents. And then JD, I know, came back toward the end because they actually wanted oh. to wrap up the storyline with JD and I think mm-hmm. Elliot. I could be wrong because I didn't watch the last season in order. Well, no, no, no. So, so, so the the last, so like the last, the like very last season was yeah, it was like the the medical school. But I thought that one started off where it was like it implied that they had gotten together because wasn't Elliot like pregnant or something? There was that, and it's also just like they changed networks. Yeah, I mean they went I'm to ABC for the last season, and generally speaking, when sitcoms change networks, they don't last longer than like a year. Look at Family Matters. Family Matters lasted, I think, one maybe two seasons after it left ABC and went to CBS. Um, it's happened a couple different with a couple different shows, and this one but wasn't. Yeah, go ahead. But, but wasn't there a final episode? Like the 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 definitive series finale that I've heard a lot of people talk about is. JD is leaving the hospital for some reason and like he's walking down the hallway and he sees all the people that he's helped 
in the years prior. And then it ends with like a, a video montage of like the future with like a really sad Colin Hayes song. That's what and I've sh- seen the clip of it, which like makes me weep the that's, whole time. Cause it's just like so pitch perfect. That's it's where like it should have actually Him seeing ended. his future with Elliot and they have a kid and Dr. Cox is happy with his wife and their kid and Turk and Carla are together. And it's like, wasn't that the end? And then no. they were like, yeah, we should, we should milk this cow. Oh, so yeah. then I am hearing it wrong. Okay, so that was probably the that NBC was, finale. Yeah. Yeah, that's and what then, I mean. It's like, that was the finale and then they were like oh we're gonna move we're gonna to do this medical and do a, school a, a, a tenth thing. season or whatever number that was yeah i think they did it because they weren't sure they were gonna get renewed and then they were like well we're gonna do the series and then they were like hey guys we Uh-oh. got you for one more year yeah uh-huh. yeah um it's kind of like what happened with friends um but, but yeah well also that introduced us to dave franco dave franco got his big break doing that show oh yeah that's true so you know that's yeah that's true everything's relative mm-hmm. um of course his character was super annoying in that show well yeah be real but meh yeah anyway the side that we, we took <laughs> no, that was a huge no, side tangent the TV. oh no <laughs> <laughs> huge side tangent uh, um so anyway yes we're we're beyond that so we we now agree that hopefully if something happens where i'm no longer on nerds on film it doesn't turn into the scrubs yes so we're gonna switch it networks. doesn't turn into like the scrubs. Or, or like some like other obscure Right. podcast channel <laughs> but anyway um uh, i can't segue for, for shit today back to rom-coms yeah um that was so pretty good you guys it's early on a sunday morning please forgive us like today's football sunday morning it's like oh. the mecca football sunday mornings yes, there, there seem, um, seems to be an exciting episode of football on today <laughs> <laughs> some sort of like sports ball i just know for me it's just like it's three hours of commercials, but then there's this football game in between them, and I don't know what's the deal. My with prediction that. is Ireland wins, but Crumb catches the snitch. So that's <laughs> you know, well played, Go on, Harry Potter. With <laughs> now it. we brought it back to nerdism. Not even okay. a hardcore Harry Potter movie. That's like that's straight up from the book because they never touched that in the movie. No, no, they don't, and I'm angry about it. But we'll touch on that. That was a time, great, or if at all. So okay, for those who who are not <laughs> Pottermores like like uh, Gina and I. Read the Goblet of Fire and read the Quidditch World Cup because that shit is really, really gripping. Goblet of Fire is my favorite of the series, too. Like, my copy of Goblet of Fire is so threadbare and destroyed and the <laughs> spine is, like, falling apart. And there's pages that look like they're trying to escape. And it it, it got bad for that book because I loved it. So I just loved it too hard. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you use the word threadbare because i'm pretty sure william shakespeare was the guy who invented that word added it to the english language and you know he also invented the the romantic comedy (laughs) booyah that's the segue we were looking for that was solid brian boy boy no all right slow clap that one sarah would be proud yeah oh (laughs) look at you look at you go um yeah so it's true rom-coms really did you know, we hate to say, like, they well, they started with Shakespeare because, like, really, there was no romantic comedies prior to Shakespeare? Probably. But I'm I think... sure Eric would be like, well, back in ancient Egypt, there was uh, Ramesses <laughs> the 15th who uh, developed clearly the, the story. story. Of, clearly, the story of Osiris and Isis is the story of boy meets girl. <laughs> well... and, and then boy loses girl by Osiris dying. And then Isis <laughs> brings him back. <laughs> <laughs> and they live happily ever after in, so it's really in go- the kingdom. Meets, yeah. But <laughs> well, I, think, I think the Greeks in their you know, litany of plays and, and stories that they did on the stage, there were stories about, you know, they had their comedies, they had their tragedies, and I think some of the comedies had romantic elements, but it was never fully a romantic comedy in the sense that we're, you know, a, 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 attuned to in, in this day and age. Like, yeah. I think, you yeah. know, there were sort of elements of it, and like, but Shakespeare took those and then sort of, you know, made it sort of the through line you know, in plays like Midsummer Night's Dream or Much Ado About Nothing or, mm-hmm. um, God, um, even for the long, for for a while until they start killing everybody, Romeo and Juliet, which starts <laughs> off as a comedy and then ends as a, tra- as a tragedy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, uh, it is almost, it, it, you could, if they just tweaked a couple of scenes, it cut a couple of scenes out, it could be a romantic comedy. Well, yeah, well, it's like if you ever watch Shakespeare in Love, it starts out as a comedy. It's Romeo and Ethel, Pirate Star. Ex- exactly. But, um, but that's, that's the thing. And the big thing about... What is the play? <laughs> and what is my part? <laughs> 
God, Ben Affleck. Um, but like, and the whole thing about Shakespeare too is Shakespeare was definitely someone who he found a formula and then milked it over and over and over again. And we kind of see that in the idea of romantic comedies as well is they're very well a lot of movies but romantic comedies especially is they're very formulaic and there's an article here that says a romantic comedy or rom-com is defined as a movie or play that deals with love in a light humorous way and then the formula is something along the lines of two people meet have a conflict in their way and reunite to live happily ever after now that could make a that could you know be a formula for a lot of movies but i think in our heads we all kind of have an idea of what a romantic comedy is and what those types of conflicts are. And so the difference between thing like a Shakespearean comedy and a Shakespearean tragedy is they basically have the same formula, except one ends with a wedding and the other one ends with a funeral. So like Brian was saying, if you tweak, or like Dave, one of you was saying, if you tweak a couple things in Romeo and Juliet, it could have easily have ended as with a wedding and could have become more of a comedy. But, right. you know... It's just kind of what that conflict is that gets in the way. Right. And it's also important to know that Shakespeare, not all of Shakespeare's comedies were really romantic comedies. I mean, right. he he established the modern format, the modern formula, as Dave was basically saying, right? We don't really think of Shakespeare as modern English, but the truth is he, he it is modern English because right. aside from like V and Thou not being uh, in the language and a couple of other articles from there... It really, or pronouns, I should say, um, it is the same structure and the same overall spelling as modern English. And that's why we can still perform it 400 years later and have us understand any idea what right. is what is being spoken. The dialect is very, very different, actually. Yeah. There's a fun <laughs> fun fact about Shakespeare is um, the company, uh, Shakespeare's Globe in London, they will do, their whole goal is they do the Shakespeare's plays as they were originally intended to be produced. So mm. they do them... With minimal sets, they do them, with the, the yeah, exception yeah. of they let women play the parts because men played all the parts well, in his yeah. day. Um, they they like, did. No, we're going to keep the misogyny part too, so yeah. fuck you. <laughs> so they will do what they'll call, they'll say what they're going to do a show in RP, which is, of course, the received standard British dialect, mm-hmm. or they'll do OP, which is original pronunciation. Ooh. So they, have, they actually have voice coaches who teach the actors the original dialect that the that the Shakespearean oh, that's text was written in and what's fun about that is there's actually words that that don't rhyme now but that rhymed back then because yeah. of the way they were pronounced so um and also Shakespeare was the king of making bad jokes and making groaners and so because of the way certain words are pronounced back then those jokes play to that kind of ear, mm-hmm. whereas they're completely lost to the modern ear because of the right. modern pronunciation. Well, in- interestingly enough, too, um, you know, when we talk about, ro- you know, rom-coms and romantic comedy films, because we had to go through the silent film era before we got to our modern era of talkies, there were a couple films that were considered potentially considered romantic comedies. There was one called uh, Sherlock Jr. that had Buster Keaton in it, Mm -hmm. and then another called Girl Shy. But one of the other kind of pillars of a romantic comedy is there's a certain level of banter, a certain amount of witty dialogue that the characters kind of bounce off one another in that kind of build, especially if it's two romantic leads, and it kind of builds a, a kind of like flirty like oh they're they're intellectual equals they can banter with one another and bounce words off each other and so unfortunately that was sort of lost during the the silent film era right and i think that's kind of the it's interesting you you say that because that also i think has its roots in taming of the shrew right i mean there mm-hmm. is the the petruchio and the kate characters where she, I mean, unfortunately, we don't want to call the female leads in romantic comedies the shrew because most of these characters don't hate men and they're looking for love. Right. Um, whereas Catherine in that story is absolutely not. She is like, I hate men. I don't want to ever get married. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, that one does not hold up to, to history because it's like, hey, let's talk about how a man psychologically breaks a woman, basically, yeah. into being an obedient wife. Yeah. Um, doesn't really play to a modern feminist audience whatsoever. <laughs> no. Well, but they but they were able to reconstruct it. I mean, I know we're jumping ahead in some years, but like they were able to reconstruct it in a in a really good manner well, and still keep that feminism streak in 
10 Things, things I, I Hate About, about you. you. No, that's yeah. true. And when you think about Patrick Verona's character and Kate's character, um, they do have really good witty banter in a way that the other two characters, which their names are escaping me right now, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt... Um, and Bianca. And Bianca. The, uh, uh, the Bianca character, character. yeah. Um, Alex Mack. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah. Don't have that. They're, they're, they're the kind of the awkward, uncomfortable. They're like the real... It's always interesting how they juxtapose. When you do double couple movies, mm-hmm. you juxtapose the two people who are... The one guy who's like, he's really shooting out for out of his league, but yet she actually does kind of dig him. And the two people who just, they can't, they have incompatibilities based off of their own personality flaws. Mm-hmm. And they have to overcome them. It's almost like, I hate to say it, but kind of like Hitch in a way. Mm. Um, oh, how dare you. I know, I know. Because it's <laughs> Hitch is a far less well-executed yeah. uh, storyline than than the other one we were talking about. So, uh, at any rate, um, but it is interesting to see that after the silent film era, once we got into the talkie era, that we started to see some of that come back, right? Mm-hmm. Where we started getting it, that. So, sample. yeah, it says that um, an early form of romantic comedies was called, they called it a comedy of manners. And it's when a rich person would then find love with a non-wealthy person. And so it didn't necessarily, like, oh, so interesting. The, the, the conflict in it was, you know, the the class diversion, Um or divide, not diversion. Um, so things like um, it happened one night where oh, a wealthy yeah. woman, you know, kind of runs away, takes up a newspaper reporter. It's got Clark Gable in it. And interestingly enough, it won five Oscars because it best was picture. like, yeah, best picture, um, best director, actor, actress, and screenplay. Have you guys um, seen it? I have not, no. And I hate to say that I haven't either. It is on AFI's oh, really? Top 100. Yeah, oh, my God, I... Love that movie. It's so good because it, it is exactly like, so the whole, you know, them having conflict. And what was interesting was that I was reading, and you may have this in your notes too, Gina, was that it was built around, you know, for the Depression era yeah. to show audiences that money doesn't buy everything. Yeah. And it was sort of like a movie about hope and sort of giving them this idea that, like, you know, you can ha- find happiness in other ways. And it's just, just this great rapport between the two of them. But again, it's sort of sticks with that sort of uh, taming of the shrew bit where he's more intelligent than her. That's how they're sort of uh, portraying it Mm -hmm. and how like he knows what's right for her. And she's just sort of this lost sort of puppy dog trying to figure out her life because she's going to get married off and she doesn't want to do it. And it's just by today's standards, it would never be that way. Like they would make her more, grounded they'd make her more capable whereas they're sort he she's still sort of that damsel in distress that has to be saved by clark gable but they don't do it in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable i guess like he's never like forcing himself on her but like their 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 jump to love is that he's more aggressive in it whereas she's more passive Mm -hmm. Mm. i think we're i think we're looking at the same article (laughs) oh are we okay i think so I wrote down notes, so... Oh, um, no, that's fair. But that was it, but... Sorry, I didn't okay. mean to, like, mow your lawn there. Oh, yeah. no, don't, yeah. don't even worry. I'm just like, wait, I think I think we found the same stuff. This yeah. is great. And it is interesting. I hate to keep bringing it back to Shakespeare, but pretty much there are, like, one of two ideal romantic comedies that he made. Mm-hmm. That or Really, three. It's, like, it's either Midsummer, As You Like It, no, not As You Like It. I'm sorry. It's either Midsummer, Much Ado About Nothing, or Taming of the Shrew. I mean, uh-huh. As You Like It is, is... It's a rom-com. Is a rom-com. It's... it's, it, it's I, I would it's say a, it's, it's the one that's... It's a multi-person rom-com. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or multi-couple, I should say. Well, as well, Midsummer Night's Dream is, is multi-couple as well. They're all actually multi-couple. Yeah. Um, but you could, you could take elements from either of the couples in the story, and you can always see there's one couple that has that same, again... Right infatuation for each other and then there's the other couple who don't (laughs) and they learn to love each other like i did uh, as you like it gosh probably about close to 10 years ago and i played sylvius and he's sort of the farm boy that's in love and his love is not returned in any way shape or form um and then you've got rosalind who is posing as a man and she's in love with orlando but he's in love with rosalind via the words um and then you've got the third couple, which is sort of like the C storyline, like a, at least in the version that we did, like they didn't get a whole lot of um, 
they didn't get a whole lot of, of, of development, which is sort of like the lower class. So it's like, you've got Orlando and Rosalind, which is sort of the higher class. And you have like the lower class, which is Sylvius and Phoebe. And then you've got the other two, which are like even lower than lower. Um, and everybody's just like falling in love with each other. But yeah, I can see why you, why it's not sort of in his top three echelon as far as like a romantic comedy. It's more of a comedy you know, with some romance peppered in. Whereas like Midsummer is, is definitively about mm-hmm. romance um, for the two couples and Puck sort of fucking with them. Yeah. Within, yeah. within Twelfth Night be a romantic comedy as well? Um, no, oh, oh, yeah. it would be yeah. for sure, but it's like just not as yeah, not as considered as one in that Shakespearean echelon. I don't. Yeah, I think of the three that people think of the most, it's those. It's yeah, yeah, that's totally um, fair. I mean, you can also argue Comedy of Errors has a romantic comedy element to it, but Comedy of Errors is without question the most farcical. Yeah. of all of Shakespeare's comedies, and it's also the one that is probably the most based off of the plotus stories from the Roman era. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's the well, most that, derivative as well. Well, I think... Well, that, but, the, but that farcical element sort of like is what fuels the the modern rom-com because yeah. like a lot of rom-coms post, you know, Depression era and you start getting into like the 50s or even the 60s, like take a look at Billy Wilder's uh, Some Like It Hot. Like that is farcical to a t i mean it, it takes farce and it just you know runs with it you know sure. two men on the run from gangsters dress up as women <laughs> and join a a, a, a a traveling band or a traveling jazz band and the two bo- two main men jack lemon and um tony, tony curtis, curtis fall in love with marilyn monroe and like they fight over her but it's like it's right. farcical because like one of them is dressed as a woman, and then like there's this old man that's fallen in love with that person. I think it's Tony or it's Jack Lemon's character because there's this great scene where the two of them are like dancing, and they keep yeah. cutting back, and like the dance is more extravagant, and like there's more props that are thrown in. And I just as a side tangent, there needs to be a whole episode that we devote to Billy Wilder because like the man is a fucking genius, <laughs> and he deserves time on this podcast. Just oh, podcast. absolutely. Well, and I think the one thing we wanted to make sure we define when we define farce because it is. Slightly, it's a it's a deviation from comedy. Mm-hmm. Is that it's right? It's it's any comedy where really the the circumstances are elevated to an absurd yeah level, right? Like even with comedy errors, like the whole premise of two sets of identical twins that are, end up yeah and are that end up being separated at birth, and one happens one set of twins happens to be from the slave that's owned by the mm-hmm. the affluent couple, and the other was the sons of the affluent couple. Mm-hmm. And they both end up naming their kids uh, Dromeo and Ephesus. It's like that's yeah. like that level. It's just like you have to throw lo- common sense out the window. It's just like okay, just this is gonna get weird. Let's just yeah. make it. Let's just let's just go with it and enjoy it. You know? <laughs> wow, out of context, that sounds really, really, uh, <laughs> really, really bad. But um, well, and one of one of the other things though that we we do want to bring up is that. In that post-Depression era, you know, comedy of manners is when you start to see that romantic comedies especially become very female driven. And I think that's why in the modern day, a lot of times romantic comedies are referred to as like, oh, it's a chick flick because yeah. it's what it starts to be is or it's around this era that especially romantic comedies or, or things like that, they put a woman as the lead. It's her story. She drives it and it becomes about her. So in essence, yeah, it is a chick flick in that she is the lead, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the these movies are intended for only the consumption of women. Right. And it's also, I mean, that, there is a whole feminist argument about that, too, is to say, so a chick flick is about a, a girl who's just trying to find a man, basically. Like, the, <laughs> like there's no other aspirations that a woman wants in her life. And, you know, it's a very big eye roll kind of situation mm-hmm. with that. But, you know, I get it. But at the same time, I've always, I've, I've never liked the idea of calling a romantic comedy a chick flick for right. that reason because i mean i've always enjoyed watching them you know mm-hmm. i've had with no shame i've always enjoyed watching romantic comedies uh maybe less or so within the, the ones that came out in the last 10 to 15 years but the classic ones i right of course I, no they're on our they're on they're easily ones i could watch over and over again mm-hmm. you know same yeah um uh, and there's also ones where like you could argue that there are ones where there are 
the female-driven ones, but there also are the ones that get later on where they... It's hard to have a movie with two main characters because right. ultimately one does have to take the dominating position. Mm-hmm. But there are movies where I do feel like the story is about both of right. them. No, Harry well, you Sally. mentioned... Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned Hitch. That is another cla- That's another case of the two of them are the lead characters of that movie because, you know, they're, they're, they're the same mental, like they're on the same um, intelligent level, not to, not, not to have that sound demeaning, but it's like they're, they're on the same wavelength and like they're both, they both have a similar past. And so the story is about both of them trying to find love and, you know, they find it within each other, even though they're both very guarded. Right. Um, So it's like, yeah, I think, yeah, for the longest time you see where it's just sort of, but like one of the tropes, that and I don't know if this comes in in the fifties or what, but like a lot of the tropes that I've seen are, are sort of like the the girl or the woman is you know so busy about in, you know about her life and just trying to like find herself or whatever the case may be, so she doesn't have time for love, and that hmm. seems to be like the common thing that like gets her going like that's her character and like that's all she is she's defined by her job and she can't find love and then oops here comes a guy who like mm-hmm. is able to show her that there's more to life than just work and then that other thing is his penis and like then they fall in love <laughs> and like live happily for after and like that's the moral of the story is like all you yeah. need is a good dicking and you're like you know fuck my job well, yeah, and that's I think that's unfortunate because a lot of that a lot of that comes out of a lot of that comes out of like, well, yeah, there was a point where historically women returned to the workforce and then you but when that happened, there was a lot of propaganda that was just like, oh, this is a working woman. She's going to become a spinster. And what is she going to do in her life without babies? And, you know, we we, we even see a lot of that in modern society, how when um, like Congress members and female Congress members or female leaders, if they uh, it's just like, oh, well, when are you going to have time to start a family? Didn't you want kids? Oh, but you're you're not married. Were you ever thinking about that? Or like if there are women who are like pregnant in a particular office, they're like, well, oh, how are you going to balance work and, and being a mom? And even uh, figures who are who are male don't necessarily get asked that question, even if it is common knowledge that they do have children. And so what we have is we, we do see that divide of, in a sense, romantic comedies are, or romance films do very much kind of reflect the the mindset of the era. And they kind of grow and change along with, along with the, the time period where you see people communicating via letters in the movie Brian mentioned and evolving into, like he said, what becomes You've Got Mail. It evolves along with the era, but unfortunately you also do get some of that, you know, either sexist or even racist kind of shortcomings as well. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, t- the one thing I just thought of when you were just talking about when the, people ask the women those questions of, hey, how are you going to be able to fit this in? I would just respond with, well, how does a guy balance working with being a dad? Like, yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, well, the women's supposed to do all the job raising. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> you can go fuck right off. Thanks. You can, well, you yeah, can, like, yeah. There's you a can, fact, I think there's a movie, an actual movie titled How Does She Do It? And it, oh, I, think it's, I think it stars Sarah Jessica Parker. I've not seen it personally, but um, anyone who has, please write in. But like, I think the premise of it is that she's like, a mom who works a high power job and like, she's always busy, but she's also a mom. And it's like, well, how does she balance that life? It's like, I like, if we're going to go on like on a philosophical tangent or just sort of like a socioeconomic, not even a socioeconomic, just like a social tangent of just like, why is that a question that anyone needs to ask? It's like, you know, Brian, you said it perfectly. It's like, nobody ever asks the male counterpart, like, well, Hey, you got a kid. Like, how can you, uh, how can you do your job and be a father at the same time? It's like that, that question should be asked to everybody, not just, I don't know. Sorry, that was a weird tangent, but it just it fires me up because it's just like it's the stupidest premise for 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 a romantic comedy, which leads me into a, a segue of a lot of rom- romantic comedies have terrible premise, uh, have terrible like premises or whatever the plural for that is, because like a lot of them are based off of like lies and lying to each other, and like that's where the conflict comes from, and um, I don't have one in particular. Well, I guess like using Chasing Amy. Like, 
you know, she's a lesbian, but she doesn't quite tell him that. So he has to like figure that shit out and he falls in love with her. Right. And then, like, the, and then the other lie that she tell, well, that she not a lie, but an omission was that she is more sexually uh, advanced than he is, which plays into his insecurities. And that that's what break, breaks them apart. So it's like, right. there's always like something like a withholding of something that pisses, you know, the other person off because for whatever reason, just, you know, just to man, just to manufacture conflict. So that way they have a reason for breaking up. Yeah, and some of well, them do it well. Some of them do it terribly. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Chasing Amy does it is on, on the side of the films that does it a little bit better because the movies I can't stand are the ones where, you know, going into act two that the I'll just use the guy as the example in this case. But it does happen in both in films with their, the woman's doing it, too, where there's the deliberate the guy is hiding something. The one that comes to mind right off the bat is Wedding Crashers. I was just thinking that because I watched yeah, it yesterday. Right, because you've got Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson hiding the fact that these, I mean, they're 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 literally there under false pretenses. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of get further and further involved with this very, very wealthy, very powerful family. And whenever the charade goes away, it's just like, that movie was actually the, was the breaking point for me. Like, oh, literally. You didn't like it? No, not that I didn't like it, but just that I'm like, God, I'm so sick of romantic comedies where somebody is hiding something and the truth comes out. How to lose a guy in 10 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's the example of the opposite where Kate Hudson is trying to deliberately mm-hmm. um, find ways to break, to break up, up with, with Matthew her. McConaughey. Yeah. And then when he finds out that it was all for an article, he gets super pissed at her. You know, um, first of all, if you try to do this in real life. That's like borderline sociopathic behavior. It is. It <laughs> just is. like just, just isn't saying. he also? But he's also got a bet going on his end too, right? And how to lose a guy in ten days? Like someone's betting him some money that he can't keep a girl for longer. Yeah, and like, like, like that's his reason for staying in it for as long as he is. Yeah, so they're they're both trying to in that like I actually do kind of like how to lose a guy in ten days because you find out that they're both kind of trying to play one another, but then end up figuring out that like that like that kind of drive and like keeping with it is ultimately what brought them together um but we can we can talk about that later yeah. too but there's actually a really great one i think of the more recent romantic comedies that i really really love is uh, i think it's called friends with kids um oh, oh adam scott the, the one with yeah. adam scott yeah, yeah yeah and it's i like that one it's so great and it's about Two friends who agreed to have a kid together because they they mesh well. They they all have they have similar beliefs and everything. But then there's that awkwardness of she starts to get attached to him, and then he is trying to go on with the dating life. And mm-hmm. I kind of like how that went because it it has the formula of boy meets girl because they're mm-hmm. already friends, but they don't really they don't really find each other and, and accept each other to be in love with one another until the ve- like literally the last moment of the movie, right? And I like how it breaks the formula and yet at the same time honors the formula in its own way. Um, and I'm sorry, guys, we're spoiling all these movies for you. Whatever. But oh, I, mean, well. they, I, mean, I mean, like, to be fair, they've been out for so many years. Like, if you genuinely wanted to watch it, you could watch it. Like, yeah. when but also you're, you you're, can make the argument, too, that, like, if you've seen one, you've seen them all yeah, in a way. Because, like... like you're listening to a movie podcast right now. Yeah, new releases, we put a spoiler alert on, but it's like, come on. <laughs> come on. Okay, guys, guys, we're about to spoil the ending of 10 Things I Hate About You, so if you don't want to hear it, please avert your ears. Okay, great. So yeah. when they all get together at the end, spoiler, um, uh. Like, but 10 Things I Hate About You is another one where, like, they, again, it's based off of the predication that there's lying, right? Like he's lying to exactly. her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Heath Ledger's character is lying to um, Julia Stiles' character about him. You know why he's so interested in her is because he's taking money from uh, from that Just guy Joey, whatever his face is, who's like trying oh, to get right, into Alex Max pants. But That's right. you know. They're like, but he's also a pawn because Joseph Gordon Levitt and David Kremholtz have like devised this plan to like get him to pay <laughs> him to take out Julia Stiles while he then, while Joseph Gordon Levitt gets to be Alex Mack's French tutor and they get to like get closer and fall in love with each other. Um, <laughs> and it's just sort of like, but it's all just like, again, that, but it takes those, because like Shakespeare, we love those stories, but again, those are all based off of lying. But like what makes, I think what happens is, is that you know, there was a quote that I read. From so, if you hear pages wrestling, I apologize. But there was a quote that I read from id id dot com that said that you know 
were, or maybe it wasn't them or, yeah, it was, it was that, um, audiences aren't, aren't tiring of romantic comedies. It's that audiences are tiring of formulas. And I feel like we, as an audience, we dug it in the, you know, depression era, post depression era, fifties, sixties, like the sixties had a slew of them too, with like rock Hudson and like Doris day, you mm-hmm. know, and those sort of like peppy sixties, you know, very colorful, you know, she's, <clears throat> she's lovely and he falls in love with her kind of thing. And we had a huge resurgence in the nineties. I mean, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks are like names that kept popping up. Like those were the bread and butter. Like mm-hmm. those were movies that were cracking hundred thousand or hundred million dollars at the box office. Like movies that we would say, you know, that would be sent out now that wouldn't even crack maybe, I don't know, 70 or 80 million at the box office were like the high ticket items in the mid-90s, but it's the thing is, is that we got so worn out by these formulas of Boy Meets Girl. It's like now we're starting to see a, a dynamic shift where it's like, okay, well, how do we get them? Sorry, I keep hitting my thing. How do we get them, or how do we get audiences to come back and like really because they want the romance, but what? Do, how do we do it in a way that's not going to be contrived or mm-hmm. you know overdone? Right, and I think the person who has done the best at this um, is the late Nora Ephron. Because she, she is so good at writing movies that, again, they don't have to follow the formula exactly. But they even play with the, the concept of, yeah, there's hiding. Like, if you look at Shop Around the Corner and you look at You've Got Mail, they both have that same element of there is the secrecy element. It's not so much a lie. It's just that they've always they've, – they've been pen pals, right? And then when one person discovers the truth, yes, there's a little bit of that dishonesty. But when the truth comes out – it's not this whole, oh, I fucking hate you. It's just like they almost laugh at it because they realize that it was the person was there in front of them the whole time. They were there the whole time. Right. They were there all along. And I don't think <laughs> and, and I don't think that's unrealistic. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's really it also it says something about our society that if we assume that people are just horrible people and that when the truth comes out, we're immediately just going to hate the person and, you know, not be mm-hmm. forgiving of the other person that, that, you know, I need to take 20 to 30 minutes of film time just to cool off and we'll run into each other in about 20 minutes and I'll forgive you. But right now <laughs> I need to, but right now I am so mad. Um, well, like uh, it's complicated. Anybody see that one? Um, it's complicated. It's a good one. I was going to say that's actually, so Nancy Myers directs a lot of these movies as well. Mm-hmm. And Nora Ephron didn't always write them, but I was going to say something's got to give, um, mm-hmm. is a good one as well. Um, I mean, obviously when Harry Met Sally is like great sleepless in Seattle, like yeah. there's, I'm sorry. I said, Oh, I was just saying Rob Reiner. That's Rob all. Reiner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't. Yeah. Nora Ephron didn't direct it. I believe she wrote the script she did, yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course she directed a few of the movies in her own right too. Um, you Didn't she even... do uh, the Infinite Playlist? Zach, no. Oh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Infinite Playlist, yeah, that was it. I, maybe, yeah, but um, I was also going to say there was one more. Um, shoot, Michael. She she wrote that one. Uh, you know the one where the John angel is the angel. Yeah, yeah, that oh. was. Yeah, and and that is absolutely one that you don't kind of expect to be a romantic comedy because they sold the movie as they have to move this angel from point A to point B. But it's absolutely <laughs> you find out is that he was sent there to bring these two people together. So that was one of the ones we're like, oh, huh. It ended up working out, you know, mm-hmm. that way. So Well, and ultimately, at the end of the day, these are movies that are successful because we, at the end of the day, as cheesy as it is, we are a society that wants to believe in love. We want to believe that love is a good thing, that it's something that's out there that despite what ever bullcrap is going on in the world there is still that sort of love at the end of the day it's that kind of like hope at the end of pandora's box there's a love that kind of persists in the air that no you know there is someone out there who loves us and you know it could be up on some sort of level of love, whether it's kind of like an Eros romantic love or a like filio family love or like an agape unconditional love. Um, there's, there is a, a type of love that is there that we can relate to and we can feel good about at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so guys, if you don't mind, I'm going to change the subject for a moment. Okay. Okay. And, sure. um, unfortunately, um, there have been some romantic comedies that have not gotten some Oscar appreciation. And in fact, the last romantic comedy, arguably, to really get respect from Oscar recognition was Shakespeare in Love. 
Oh, yeah. It yeah. was Best Picture. Which messes with formula because it doesn't quite end with a happy ending. Mm-hmm. They don't end up together. But, yeah, that was the last one. And that was 20 years ago mm-hmm. that it got. And I think Harry Met Sally might have been the one before that. So it's getting further and further apart. Even when you think of Happen One Night where it won five Oscars, mm-hmm. you, a romantic comedy doesn't dare do that today. Mm-hmm. Oh, um as good as it gets, I think, is another major uh, one as well, where that was the last time it got uh, a lot of big Oscar recognition. But since it is late January, early February, let's talk about the Oscars for this year, okay? Okay, sounds good. So were there any surprises? I'm um, annoyed that no. Wonder Woman was nowhere. Yeah, that was disappointing, to um, say the least. Oh, I'm, I'm happy that Logan, don't get me wrong, I'm happy Logan yeah. got a, a writing Oscar that, for a comic book movie that's never happened. Yeah. Um, but it's really upsetting that, even for the achievement aspect, it, that mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't even recognized. I right? am bummed, but I, I did not expect it to get any, yeah. any recognition whatsoever. Because mm-hmm. to me, it felt like... Yeah, it did a lot of it did a lot of good for um, women in cinema and women behind the camera. But at the same time, like we've seen throughout history, that those that are behind the curtain they take a really, 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 really long time to adjust. And the fact that they had a woman directed about a woman protagonist with nearly an all woman cast, um, you know, as like main players. Um, like I can almost like sense it in my head that they were like, well, that's enough. What what else do they need? Yeah, like, well, you know yeah, what but, I mean. Like not to be a dick, but it's just sort of like I I didn't expect that one to break the bank. And I think and I think mm-hmm. if you really look at it like in structure, like great first act, great second act, like really strong. But then like the third act devolves into your typical sort of like superhero ending where it's like CGI heavy and stuff. And I'm sure that's that fair. maybe is what deterred people away from wanting to give it any sort of further recognition. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. I don't yeah. personally believe that. I'm just thinking like those could be potential reasons as to why it's not given any sort of credit beyond, you know, what we already gave it over the summer. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, they, Greta, I mean, I haven't seen Lady Bird yet, but Greta Gertwing got nominated for Best mm-hmm. Director for that. And it's, I really don't want to think that the Academy is trying to push to say, well, we've got one female nominee this year. Yeah. We're okay. Because it shouldn't just be one. It should just be, okay, mm-hmm. what were... Well, and I think the the interesting thing about Lady Bird, like, I haven't seen it. Um, I really want to, though. But a lot of the same themes and the same ideas and even, you know, the way that the protagonists um, operate it, from what I've read about Lady Bird is it's very, very similar to a movie that came out many, not many, but, you know, several years ago called Real Women Have Curves with uh, America Ferrera, a very young oh, that's America a great Ferrera. Movie. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. Like, what I've been reading is Lady Bird is very similar to Real Women Have Curves, except the big glaring difference is that Real Women Have Curves focuses around a um, Latina young woman mm-hmm. and you know and lady bird is you know a white, white girl yeah white hipster girl um but i mean it's it's nice to see that the academy is changing but it's also it, it it's also hard when you see that you know someone of color had kind of put themselves out there mm-hmm. before to make a movie that's very very similar and did not get that recognition like Greta Gerwig is getting and I I'm not you know trying to shit on Greta Gerwig or anything I'm super happy for her I'm all about it but I'm also really really stoked though that Jordan Peele got nominated for Get Out oh totally yeah. Get Out was incredible yeah and- yeah yeah no question I just what I would really like to hope to see mm-hmm. and and they're not going to announce this until maybe maybe a couple weeks before the episode mm-hmm. or before the, the I should say that the ceremony um, but. I would like to see them at least give a special recognition Oscar, kind of like, because every so often the Academy will just give a special Oscar away for an achievement, right? Uh They gave one away to Toy Story for being the first computer-generated feature film. Um, They did one for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs before they had an animated feature, right? And it's just to recognize, okay, we've moved forward as an art form. Right. Right? Whether the quality of Wonder Woman meets your standards or not for what you expect from a from a big budget movie mm-hmm. the fact that number one a woman was given a big budget film yeah a, a budget over 100 million dollars was able to execute and was able to prove that women can't handle the whole myth about women can't handle big budget movies being bullshit yeah i think that 
deserves the achievement. Yeah. You know? Um, and Patty Jenkins yeah. is uh, Patty Jenkins is no stranger to the Oscars. I mean, her monster obviously was a was a great film, and that got the recognition that yeah. well, maybe not as much as it deserved, but it definitely she's a, not an unrecognized person in that mm-hmm. community. You the, know, the other thing I saw too, and we mentioned this um, in an episode or so ago, well, when we were talking about the Golden Globes, was um, Casey Affleck will not be presenting an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see that announced that, you know, because of the accusations and things against him, he will not be presenting the Oscar for Best Actress. And so, um, you know, yeah. And in the episode where we had mentioned that, you, Brian, you had talked about tradition and you would. But it's it's nice to see that when it comes to certain aspects and certain movements, there is a certain level of tradition that is breaking down as well. Right. And hopefully yeah. as that that tradition, that lattice that has been built for so many years breaks down, we mm-hmm. may see more change in the way that the awards are given as well. Yeah. And it's also very interesting that Dave, Fran- not Dave Franco, James Franco did not get nominated for an Academy Award. And I wonder if it's because mm-hmm. of the shift between the recent allegations coming out about him mm-hmm. in between the Golden Globes and the Oscars that maybe they had a last minute um <laughs> or not last minute change in polling, but rather it changed Academy members' minds when it came to actually picking their nominees yeah. at the last minute. I feel like part of the Academy is also just like, we do not want Tommy Wiseau here. We know if James <laughs> Franco is here, Tommy Wiseau will be here. Tommy Wiseau <laughs> needs to be within a, like, outside of a five-mile radius of this theater. Do not bring him here. Yeah, I mean, Disaster Artist <laughs> still got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, so That's he's still going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> he's still going to be They'll there. They'll put him he in the back ticket. like they yeah. did at the Golden Globes. Yeah. I mean, if he if it wins screenplay, he might get up to the mic. It might just happen. <laughs> well, what I what I hope actually doesn't happen is I hope that um, I hope that you know, from a from a female creator creative perspective, I hope that she wins director over writing her scripts. I know didn't Lady Brigitte also get nominated for the script? Mm-hmm. I, I think so, so yeah. yeah. I hope she loses that and gets director because what I feel like is that if she wins script, it, it will it'll be sort of like, look, we gave it to her, so we're not going to give her the directing credit. We'll give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, it, it, again, going from like a political point of view, it's like, okay, well, they gave it to her for the achievement because she wrote it and everybody loved it, and then they're going to give the director credit to somebody else. I would prefer it that she wins for director Again, not having seen the movie, but just the idea and like, you know, if they are going to do that because it is the best directed movie of the of, you know, of the of the year, I hope that she gets that instead, because I feel like that'll send a a, a more clear message of like, okay, like, you know, we can start recognizing the women who are behind the camera, who are doing fantastic jobs like Patty Mm -hmm. Jenkins, like Catherine Bigelow, like Greta Gerwig, whoever else is out there. Uh, which makes me sound terrible because I don't know any other names, but like I want those names to start coming out more, and I want you know the industry to start realizing, okay, we can start you know giving them these big budgets or giving them the giving them the shots that they deserve to be able to start telling stories, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, and not have it be where like where we just sort of give them like a tertiary thing of like, well, you wrote it, so congratulations, but we're going to go give it to somebody else, mm-hmm. um, is what I hope to have happen. Right. Um, yeah. It is sad because sometimes they use the best original screenplay Oscar as a consolation prize for like yeah. saying you did a really great made a really great film, but we're gonna yeah. give the director and best picture movies to somebody else. Yeah. And that, that happened with her, I think, with Spike Jones. Mm. Um, well, I've also like when that list that came out of all the nominees, I'm looking at this and I'm just like, I have seen nothing. Same. Well, so, oh my god! Like I've seen Get Out, and like that's about. It. <laughs> so that's an excellent transition point because I think some of you might have been wondering, so why haven't we posted an Oscar challenge yet this year? Because, and the reason for that is just looking at the phase three and phase one films, because my new, my normal traditional format is phase one is all best picture. Phase two is a choose your own adventure category where you either see all the animated features, all the, mm-hmm. or all of a, of another category that we choose that year. And then the tier three is seeing all of the acting writing and directing noms. Uh, Well, so this year it becomes a little more challenging because all of the directing nominations are also Best Picture nominations. Mm -hmm. And they're also all the cinematography ones as well. So it knocks out a few categories as it is. Um, You would have to see one movie, additional movie, to I think, which I think is 
is it Star Wars? No, it's not Star Wars. There's one additional movie you have to see to see all the editing categories as well. Mm-hmm. But Justice while League. The, while right. those are all condensed, <laughs> there's such a diversity in the acting categories this year that it it just phases two and sorry, just phases one and three is eighteen movies. Wow. Which is pretty close to the biggest we've had before. We've had, I think, twenty one is the biggest. So if we try to add any of the other phase two categories, we're talking about twenty three to twenty four yeah. movies. And that's that's just a lot, guys. And we know like we, we have lives. We we barely well, I barely I couldn't I couldn't finish the challenge last year because I was so busy. It's it's know? also it's also hard because some of the movies too, like I don't have available. a ton of time to- I like I don't have a ton of time to go see movies and some of them before they got nominated for Oscars, they were not easy to find. Like Shape of Water took forever to get to my local theater. Like I don't have time to go drive across town to an art house theater to go see a movie that even though I want to see and then pay like fifteen bucks. Like yeah. movies are movies are expensive and you know, they're not always the easiest to like go to either yeah so here's what i'm gonna put out we're not i mean we don't usually do prizes anymore because it's we get very little participation in this little contest that we host but i'm curious to know from our listeners how many oscar movies you do end up seeing Mm -hmm. everyone tries to go see all the best picture movies that's great i'm still gonna try to see all the major categories Mm. um but as far as animated movies i think i saw coco and i think that's literally the only other one that i've seen so i'm gonna laugh i wanted to so hard is it good if boss baby takes it (laughs) Yeah, if Boss Baby wins best, the, the oh, if Boss Baby can beat out a Pixar movie, I mean mm-hmm. Pixar has such a high reputation for Oscars that it's pretty much either Pixar or DreamWorks are the ones who usually get those. That would be a huge upset. Yeah, in the animation community, I I think I think with animation too is, and I think I mentioned this once before, and I think I I actually misnamed what the movie was. Looking at the visuals of Coco and knowing a little bit of what the storyline was, it was very similar to one that came out a handful of years ago called Book of Life that right. had that Dia de los Muertos appearance to it that had that same type of visual, but that one was kind of swept under the rug in lieu of whatever the next Pixar thing was, and as much as I love Pixar, I think unfortunately, like they are very dynastic when it comes to animation. And so it's almost like if you're up against a Pixar thing, you barely even have a chance unless you're doing like Claymation, Wallace, and Gromit. Because um, right. things like, um, things like uh, Book of Life, or there was a year that Paranorman was up and Paranorman if you haven't seen is also really very sweet and it was you know kind of Coraline style stop motion ish and it was so cool and I I believe Paranorman may have lost to Brave which I'm a little biased against because I love Brave but like story wise Paranorman was a little bit more original, and yeah. so I actually I, thought Paranorman won, but I could be. I don't think it did. I thought but, it, I thought Paranorman lost to something. Okay, um, what I will say is this: I've seen the last ten minutes of the Book of Life because it was on TV the other night. Mm-hmm. There are some visual similarities in that. Yes, it's about a guy who crosses over to the world of the dead, yes. and the world of the dead does carry some minor visual similarities to the world that Pixar. Mm-hmm. Um, shows as well. Uh, rather, Pixar shows similarities to the other film. What I will say is in animation style, totally different movies because okay. whereas Pixar is more the their Disneyfied human kind of look, mm-hmm. everything in Book of Life is everyone is almost literally like they're wooden puppets. Everyone yeah. looks like wooden puppets, and also the the stories are very very different. Like okay. the, there is this, there are these uh, marauders who are affecting this small town in Mexico mm-hmm. in Book of Life. Um, and the stakes are around that versus Coco is about a kid who just wants to be himself and his parents aren't, the family forbids him to, to, um, play music. Okay. And it's really about, the movie is so beautiful. The movie is about forgiveness. It's about remembering your ancestors and it's about, it's, I think the message of the movie is much stronger in Coco and you will cry. Okay. You will cry. I I appreciate you. I appreciate you clearing that up for me. That's really cool. Yeah, Brave did win that year. Brave did win that year. Okay, nailed it. Well, and like it was that, up I against had... Paranorman and Frankenweenie. Yeah, that, I mean, right. like I understand why Brave won that year because they basically had to create new technology to animate Merida's hair. Um, but like, I think I think it's unfortunate because Pixar does have the capability to do those things. But 
I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I want I want to see more of what was nominated for Best Picture, but I'm just like, God, I don't have time. Yeah, well, I'm guys, in the same boat because like ugh. you know, even being in LA, I could probably easily go find like an art house that would show these things. But again, it's it's just not having the time to do so. You know, like so. I will say this. AMC every year does the Best Picture Showcase. They're oh, doing it again this year. Okay. So in markets closer to LA, they do the 24-hour version, which is literally a day before that oh. you you marathon all the movies. Oh. But in most other parts of the country, they do it over two Saturdays. Okay. This year, it's February 24th and then March 3rd. Okay. February 24th is the first five and then the last four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I find really cool is that we've already seen Darkest Hour and Get Out, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to see Darkest Hour again because they actually have it paired right up against Dunkirk. Oh, interesting. Oh, do and they since, really? Yeah, nice. they do. So you're going to see Dunkirk and then you're going to watch Darkest Hour. And I really want to watch it for that reason, just because I want to see how the two movies inform each other. Yeah. So I just, I want to make a really quick closing statement about Get Out. Um, sure. Jordan Peele has also been announced as being connected to a reboot of Twilight Zone, yep. which I'm so excited about. And um, there's also a book that I really loved um, called Lovecraft Country that he is also supposedly attached to to make a series. And based on what I saw in Get Out, I am so so excited for this if any of you out there are like really into like hp lovecraft like cthulhu mythos um please pick up matt ruff's lovecraft country excuse me while i like shamelessly plug something and like be just because i really like it yeah um pick up lovecraft country and then you know read read that because like actual hp lovecraft was crazy racist and seeing the themes through eyes of characters of color is amazing yeah that's 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 really i'm just like i'm so excited to see what jordan peele has to do now that he is up on that echelon of being nominated for an oscar and kind of breaking through to there absolutely i think actually to to make it even uh, to piggyback on that Jordan Peele's achievement with Get Out is good for a couple different reasons. It's not just good for black filmmakers. It's not just good for black artists in general. It's actually really good for sketch comedy writers. Because if you look at the history of the industry, it's very hard for a sketch comedy writer to prove that they can do anything else other than comedy. And Mm -hmm. to have him do something so different than anything. (laughs) that It's a complete night and day departure Mm -hmm. from... Key and Peel, and yes, there's humorous elements in Get Out. There's no question about that. I think his friend, the oh, comic relief yeah. character, is probably the element that's the closest to the Key and Peel sketches. Mm-hmm. But the story is so much more than that, you know. And you yeah. saw hints of it when in the Key and Peel sketches. Um, but I'm just happy to. It's 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 a threefold step forward, is what it is. And yeah. I I agree. I would love to see. I can't wait to see what he does with the sci-fi. Yeah, stuff, I'm so. just, I, I just get, give him all the awards. I think he's super cool. Go, just give him all the awards. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, guys. Well, it is that time, but um, I'm going to do our normal spiel here, okay? Oh, if yeah. you guys uh, want to send us feedback, because we didn't get any for this month, guys. Feeling a little hurt. Just saying. We'll forgive you. But um, you can go to our website, nerdonomy.com, and click on that Talk to Us button, which will send us all an email to our inboxes. Uh, you can also, while you're at the website... You can hit us up with a small donation or buy a t-shirt. Um, you can also follow us on our social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nerdonomy. Just Google us. I promise you will find it. Um, more importantly, though, I think what you can do is tell your friends about the show. Spread the word of nerd like a bird turd. Uh, because, again, we love our audience. We love li- getting new listeners in, and uh, we we want to have more people listen to the show. Okay? Okay. Uh, Dave, thank you for being on this episode. Yeah, thanks, oh, Dave. Oh, yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, There's a very so... good chance I may be back on the next episode. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't entice you, then I don't know what will. <laughs> All right. Well, until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting, possibly Dave McGuire including episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Later. Have a great night. And roll credits.
famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. I have a dick on my face, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, that's the one. All right. <laughs>